Hi, I'm Andrew Coates, and I'm the host of the Live Free and Diet Hard podcast. Welcome to episode 304. Recently, I was doing a separate introduction, but my system that uh, the platform I upload these on has changed and doesn't let me do these anymore without downloading a whole bunch of software. So we're going to go right into introducing my friend and my guest, Mark Young. As far as I'm concerned, I'm long overdue for having Mark on here. Uh, he's been in personal training for a really, really long time. Uh, you're from Hamilton, Ontario. You got a degree in kinesiology. You actually did graduate, I was digging around, graduate level research that got published in the European Journal of Applied Physiology. That's actually kind of cool and unique amongst personal trainers. And you've been punch, uh, published in a whole bunch of stuff, T Nation, Muscle and Fitness, Live Strong, which is really cool. And uh, it's just, it's really great to have you. We actually got to meet for the first time at my conference here in Edmonton last year. And I'm excited to start giving details about this coming year because I'm starting to put together a speaker lineup. But for now, it's great to have you on. Thanks for coming on. Hey, man. Thanks for having me here. It's been, uh, I've been following your show for a bit. So it's, uh, yeah, exciting to finally be an uh, invited guest. Otherwise, I would crash the party somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like my buddy Shade McClade is probably listening. So Shade was a long time listener. And Shade is great writer, funny, funny human being. You guys share that in common. So I had to set him loose and he was absolutely giddy, but he was such a good guest. And I was really happy. I was really happy to share him with a lot more people. Great writer, very prolific writer. And he's the connection that got me into muscle and fitness. So it means a lot to me. Wow. Okay. I don't know if you remember David Barr. I feel like <laughs> Name he used to write for T-Nation, maybe back when it was T-Mag. So this is going like way, way back, um, back in the like early John Berardi, Sandra Forsyth, like that the early T-Mag gang. And then anyway, Dave kind of connected with the people that were at, and then, then I think he went on to like doing something with putting training astronauts in space or something. Yeah. Something crazy like that. So there's some of the OG figures in that world gone on to do some pretty incredible stuff. You mentioned Berardi. Uh, he's, he's done rather well for himself. And you know what? I'll start here first. Cause I got some other really cool stuff for everybody, including We'll, we'll tease people. It's like how you almost died. That's going to be a crazy story. But first, you're OG when it comes to this network. And before social media was a thing, there actually was online personal training. A lot of people think that Jonathan Goodman invented it. Well, he was just forward thinking about it's like massive growth and it's like normalization for the everyday person to consider it as an option. But you were part of a network. And I think a lot of it was run on affiliate support for each other. And I, I kind of want to ask, what that was like, how you got involved in that, what worked in that, that, you know, kind of is still relevant to personal trainers that they could learn from and maybe what's changed. It's what's no longer there as part of that. Well, I would say at that time, like there were certain, I don't know, cliques, I guess there still is in fitness, um, affectionately referred to as circle jerks <laughs> amongst <laughs> our people. But, um, you know, basically what happened is, everybody had blogs at the time. Like you couldn't go to Facebook and just post your, your, your thoughts every day. You had to like compose a blog post that was funny and entertaining enough and informative enough that people would share it. And that's how you got exposure. And then, you know, if you got on somebody else's radar, like a Tony Gentlecore or an Eric Cressy, um, they might share your post or invite you to do a guest post. So then you get more exposure. And, uh, you know, they're like, yo, you need to get an email list because there's money to be made here for the information you're providing. And uh, so that's that was the way essentially people made money online at the time, right? You'd get your email list and then somebody you knew um, 
would produce a product of some sort, an e-product, and you would, you know, you'd promote that product for a percentage of, of each sale, often like a large percentage, like 75% of the sale would go to your pocket, 25 to theirs, but they hang on to the, to the name. Um, and then they can sell a subsequent products. The plus side of that industry, of course, was, you know, it, once you promoted somebody's stuff, they would feel kind of inclined to promote your stuff. The downside, of course, was that there was a lot of shit that was getting shared that was, it got to the point where people would just say, hey, I have a product coming out in eight months, put it in your lineup. And you're like, yeah, can I see it? And they're like, oh, no, no, it's not even made. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd say, let me send you my sales page. And you look at their sales page and it had testimonials from other coaches and trainers who are like, this is the best product on XYZ I've ever seen. And you're like, didn't you just say it doesn't exist? They're like, yeah, but he just wrote that for me, you know, knowing it's going to be good. So that whole area started getting a little, a little murky for me. I didn't like the, I didn't like the I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of approach. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, you want to help out your friends, obviously, but you want you don't want to do it at the cost of your integrity. So, it, and it's integrity. And like, I'll I'll throw a little nuance in here. There are certain people in this industry. If they're going to do something. They have my support unquestionably because I know their integrity. They've supported me and not from a place of transactional behavior, but a place of like genuineness. And, uh, you know, I'll say that about anything that John Goodman does, Dr. Mike Gizertel, uh, Luca Hosovar is an easy one. There's a lot more. And there, there are people like Adam Bornstein came out with a book uh, not quite a year ago, I think. And I've been following Adam and sharing his stuff for forever. I got to meet him briefly in 2017 at Luca's event. And then we reconnect. It was actually Luca that put him on to me to help promote the book. And that was a no brainer. It's like, yeah, like before I even read it, I know this is going to be good. The guy's done nutrition at a very high level for so long, no issues with endorsing it. But I know what you mean. I know that like there are people that are getting into the network and it's just an expectation that you share it no matter what, regardless of the character. And while I won't say any names, like there are some good people who are part of those networks. I remember, you know, you got guys like Dean Somerset involved with it. Bornstein was involved in that stuff. There's a lot of us. There are a couple of names that I won't say on air that I'm like, I know there are some major integrity issues with those individuals and I would have been uncomfortable sharing their work. Yeah. That's kind of, it, it got to a point where I was just like, you know what, this isn't a, this isn't my vibe anymore. But, um, you know, I will say the one thing that we did do very well back then was capture email addresses. And now with social media, uh, people, uh, as I think you found out recently, <laughs> you know, you can have tens of thousands of people on socials, but at any moment, your social media provider can just shut you down. And then those aren't your addresses anymore. Right. And then you've lost tens of thousands of names that you spent all that time trying to acquire. So getting, getting emails, we did well. Mind you, it was a lot easier to get in people's inbox at the time too, right. And get rec, get seen. Absolutely. Because I mean, A, it was the way that people communicated. right? Now, social media, I think, replaces a lot of that, even if it is this, you know, at a superficial level. And for reference, for anybody who I think I, I'm pretty sure I mentioned this last episode, but what you're referring to is, yeah, I was and it wasn't like personally at me. I just happened to get on the radar of someone who does these sort of attacks and extortion things that all worked out. I was able to restore my account, but I was targeted and taken down for a couple of hours on Instagram, which was like, 
what the hell's going on here? I'm getting this message saying your account is permanently suspended because you violated community guidelines. Didn't say what I'd done. I'm like, listen, I'm really well behaved and very careful with Instagram because I know this kind of crap. So anyway, it all got must resolved. Have been those pictures. Must have been those pictures you were sending me in the DMs. Exactly, right? Like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, tons of that stuff. And then uh, my buddy, Brad Jensen, the sober bodybuilder, he got hit shortly there afterwards. And it's all related. It, it, we, we believe it's all coming from kind of the same problem. Anyway, but that you're, you're right. It's this sort of thing can happen. And I know other people who've lost their accounts and weren't able to get it restored. So email lists still important. I, I still think that the quality of the relationship and the quality of information is key. And what you're alluding to is if you're... I've got a presentation literally coming up this weekend in Dallas and it's about social media. And one of the philosophies I'm going to share on this is talking about building a bank of grace with everybody. And it's about making a lot of deposits. And I'm a big believer. If you're going to make offers and ask for sales effectively, you want it to be so darn good. Like anybody listening who's gone to raise a bar this year or last year, I, I want them to say, okay, because of a conversation we had, did, did you feel like I asked something of you and took something away from me? Or do you feel like because it got on your radar and you went and you had a great time, it was actually a give? So always building that bank of grace. And if you're selling and promoting things of other people that are making fairly substantial withdrawals, then that comes at a cost to the relationship over time. And I think that's what we're talking about here. You were referring to the uh, affiliate marketing stuff? With the affiliate marketing, yeah. If anything is not up to high quality standard. Um, I mean, yeah. Like, like there was people who would, would pitch, 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 pitch all the time. So my rule of thumb was I wouldn't pitch more than one product per month. So you basically got 12 annually. And uh, in the interim, the goal was, you know, make sure you're providing at least a couple of high quality blog posts per week in order to drive traffic and to get interest. Uh, for me at the time, um, I'm a really research nerd kind of guy. As you mentioned, I did some post-grad research with, I don't know if you know Dr. Stuart Phillips. Absolutely, yeah, I know Stu. We spoke at an event. Okay, so Stu great. was my grad thesis advisor. So I get to ride on his coattails a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I had a really nerdy background and I would basically evaluate research on, you know, like the Tabata training or, you know, people like, oh, I'm doing like Tabata and whatever I'm doing interval training. And I'm like, I've seen this in the lab and that's not what you're doing. Like doing sets of eight seconds front squats with dumbbells and then resting for 12 and eight seconds. I'm like, that's not Tabata training. Like if you see it in the in the lab, people are throwing up. Right. Like it's on a bike. It's like 140% VO2 max for eight seconds, 12 seconds rest, and then go again. I feel ill like, just thinking about it. So, you know, I was like, I would look at the study and look at people were doing and kind of illustrate the discrepancies and try to like provide evidence, but that's a hell of a lot of work. You know what I mean? So, um, and some guys have done that really well, Greg Knuckles and, and stuff like that. Right. So, um, but that was my model was just give, give, give. And then occasionally I would say, Hey, here's a program that utilizes a lot of the approaches that, you know, that we've talked about that we've, you know, shown evidence for and stuff like that. So, um, 
I felt like it was giving people some practical application of what it was that I was writing about. Um, I didn't feel like it was taking, but definitely you could see people who were just like, you know, pitch after pitch. And it was, you got inundated with it after a while. And consumers got smart. <laughs> you well, get end up with like $35, $27 eBooks in your inbox. <laughs> well, you're talking about like the acceptable give to ask ratio, which is Alex Hormozzi does a really good job with this in his book, $100 million leads. He talks about it on podcasts, but it's worth actually talking about here. And if you're talking about a very mature network and platform, television, radio, Facebook, these are very mature platforms. They're no longer like they, they would like to grow, but they're not necessarily focused singularly on growing or focused singularly on maximizing the amount of revenue they can make without actually pissing off and sending their users away. Right. And so right. I think for most of the people listening here, you're not there. You're not that mature with, you want to grow your email list. You don't want to churn it. It's, you're not trying to maximize withdrawals. You're still trying to give and build. So the ratio that shows up in, in TV, this sort of stuff, mature networks is about three to one, four to one um, for like the commercial versus like showtime. So you're you really want to approach that. And again, like I said, if you're actually offering great stuff from great people, like if you got Tony Janelcore releasing a product, guess what? Tony's the man. Tony, like I would trust anything that Tony's doing. So I would feel like I'm actually giving something beneficial to my audience. No issue there whatsoever. So do I really see that as a big cash in? No. But in terms of like this ratio, I just want coaches to think like, don't be like, one give, one ask. These people are literally withdrawing every bit of grace the moment that they earn it. Like, don't do that. That That's really bad. That's going to piss people off, right? So that's that's the key point I want to make. Thoughts? Yeah, I totally, I, I agree. For me, you know, it, it was always a function of, um, I guess, like making people feel like they received more than I was taking from them. And, uh, you know, even even in giving them a product, I heard someone say once that when you're selling something to a customer, you're not selling to them, you're selling for them, right? For their benefit, you know? And if you don't sell some this particular item to them, they'll be like worse off for it, right? If you have enough faith in the product that you're like, look, I need to get this in their hands because they need to have this because it's going to better their life. Then those are the products I would try to get behind. But if it wasn't something that I would felt convicted about, like, yeah, like they need to have this, then I just wouldn't pitch it. And that's I think right. that's the balance, right? I've said this for a while. When it comes to young trainers, one of the most important skills you have to learn is the comfort with selling. It's not necessarily aggressive, <clears throat> manipulative sales tactics. I don't like that. I don't like pushing people that le level, but you have to have a, at least a decent radar at being able to overcome certain objections. Because if someone is sitting in front of you, they're there, especially someone who is staring down the barrel of declining metabolic health. They need to make changes. We know they need to make changes. And anybody who's listening to this has the integrity and the skill to do a good job with them if they buy in. If you fail to bridge that gap and overcome some fairly basic objections, on impulse, a few months later, at least, or a year later, when their health is now a little bit worse, they're going to wander into somewhere else. And they may end up in front of someone who does not have your skill, your integrity. And that person might be a better salesperson. So there's a little bit of that, and you alluded to this directly, the duty of care 
to convince this person to take that step over the threshold and do something positive for them because you know you can help. Yeah, I think John Goodman said something like that once. Like if you don't sell to them, someone with lesser, lesser skill and integrity will. And I think that was really uh, a really powerful statement. Um, and I have also found too, though, that a lot of trainers, once the sale doesn't go through, they kind of like, you know, they propose it. The person comes back with objections. They address the objections. The person fades back into the background. And the person's like, I guess I missed that one. And I was like, no, you're building a relationship. Like, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm terrible at hard sales, like sitting face to face and just really pushing the sale through. But I will touch base, you know, when I see the person around the gym the next week, I'm like, hey, how's it going? How's your, how's your workout going? Your shoulder's still doing okay? You know what? Try this. And not because I'm trying to sell them, but again, I'm just trying to advance them forward. And eventually, if you build a genuine relationship, like those people come around. And when they do, those are your, those are your lifers, right? Your Larry's, right? Mm. They're going to be with you, you know, for years. So, you know, if you hard sell somebody and they get into a program and they regret it, then they might grind out their 12 weeks or whatever, but then they're not staying. So to me, relationship trumps everything. There's something even more to what you said with a lot of newer trainers. The moment that an objection arises, there's a sense of relief. Oh, I'm off the hook. So it immediately relieves that pressure. Now, creates more problems later because they don't have a client, they're struggling for money, what have you. But in that moment, they're so scared of the sales process that the moment that an objection is presented, which can be an opportunity depending on the nature of the objection, that trainer's like, oh, good. Whew. All right, nope, that's okay. And then they talk themselves out of the sale. So if, you, if anybody listening catches yourself doing this stuff, huh, I, I would actually go dive into some Hormozy stuff because as much as like he might, he advocates for some harder selling, at the very least, you'll understand how to overcome some of these objections. Read sales books, things like, well, shit, Jeb Blunt's Objections literally is a book about that. He's probably one of the best resources out there. Now, yeah, I, I think. Oh, you first. Sorry. You first. No, I just, I think it's definitely important to have tools to overcome objections. Like, you know, you can't just passively get steamrolled everybody, someone. Every time somebody presents an objection, but I mean, I've seen, like, I've encountered some hard calls, like hard sell, uh, you know, business coaches, you know, they're hitting you up on Instagram. What do you mean? You don't have any, you, 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 what, why can't you take a loan against your house to pay for my, you know, for my, <laughs> it's just like, yo, like back off just a smidge. So, you, you know, I think you should definitely have objections, but. For me, there's just a line as to where you cross. So it's it's finding that balance as with most things, right? I do not believe that any business coach who is telling you to go into debt to buy their stuff has your best interests at heart. They want your money. And, yeah. I, and that's a hill for me to die on right there. So there are good business coaches, but that particular tactic I object to. Yeah, that one specifically, I'm just like, you know, mm -hmm. they'll say, well, don't you think it's important to take a risk to advance your career? And I'm like, yeah, not that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> Listen, there are so many, you know, it's inefficient, but there are so many free and low cost and high value resources out there for coaches. I came up through and I never bought the, the expensive business coach. In fact, anybody listening, I wrote an article recently for Muscle Fitness. My editor, Jeff Tomko, wanted me to write this. And I detail all the stuff I did, all the, the podcasts and the articles and just the philosophy behind consuming free information early. 
And then I started getting really big into audiobooks. So like, you know, reading books and some specifics. I will literally give you specific recommendations based on where you are and what you need. I go through 80 books a year, a lot of audio. I have the resource library. And then one of the benefits of doing so many is I know what to point people to. And then there are some really useful courses along the way that cost a little bit more, but they're very high leverage and very efficient. Now, <clears throat> talking about hills to die on, you almost died. <clears throat> and I just want to set you loose to tell this story for anybody who doesn't know this, because anybody following along in your social media during this was like, holy shit. So what the hell happened? Yeah, so um, just stop me when, if you have questions, uh, I just prattle on through this, but basically uh, I had a heart valve um, leak since I was 19. It's the aortic valve, same valve that Arnold had surgery on since we're like pretty much the same. I thought it would go really well. Um, in July of 2022, I went in to have the valve replaced. They're like, Mr. Young, you will be in and out in five days. And I'm like, all right, cool. I got stuff to do. And they put the, you know, the mask on. You can't back from 10. And as it turns out, I didn't wake up from the anesthetic for five weeks. During that time, uh, you know, a whole bunch of things happened. Uh, so apparently the surgical procedure went fine, but then the right side of my heart, for whatever reason, didn't do whatever it's supposed to do. Uh, so I ended up in cardiogenic shock, which caused this multi-system shutdown. So my kidneys failed. I went on kidney dialysis. My lungs failed. Uh, they had to do a tracheotomy and give me a, put me on a ventilator. Um, at one point, eventually my, um, you know, my, basically all my systems failed. So they had to put me on this thing called ECMO, which is basically like external life support. So you have a tube that goes basically into your kind of groin up near your groin on one side and all the blood from your body goes out through that tube through a machine that oxygenates your blood and then puts it back in the other side. So uh, the plus side of this machine is that it keeps you alive. The downside of the machine is that it throws off clots, which might also kill you. Um, it was a necessity, so they didn't really have a choice, but at the same time, um, not great. So I ended up having four strokes from the clots that came off from there. I ended up with a clot in my jugular artery, jugular vein, sorry. And then in my right leg, they end up with like a three inch clot that stopped all the blood flow going down the femoral artery. So um, that had to be opened up to extract the, you know, extract the clot. And then this is a weird situation, but when you have a clot and you remove it, the tissue gets reperfused. So the blood that couldn't, blood couldn't get in there now reperfuses and rushes into the tissue. And when it did that, it created this huge pressure in my calf, which is um, called compartment syndrome. And that means the blood can't get past that area. So in this case, the blood couldn't get through my calf to my foot. And they said, essentially, like, we need to do a fasciotomy on his leg. So they basically stick a scalpel in beside your knee and then go slide it straight down to your ankle and just open it up to relieve the pressure, but they needed to do it immediately. So there was this choice in the moment, like, 
we have to turn off the life support to save the leg or, you know, just leave the life support on and, and accept that the leg will probably not make it. You couldn't have both things functioning at once. So my family made the choice to, they're like, well, does he want to live without a leg? We're not sure. And they're like, turn it off, save the leg. So they did a fasciotomy from the knee to the ankle. And this is bedside. So they weren't like in an OR or anything. They just stuck the knife in and um, I was really mad that I didn't have video of that. But <laughs> the lack of blood flow during that time caused the my toes on that foot to basically die. So they became completely necrotic and turned into these like little black nubs. They looked like little raisins. Um, and my doctor's plan was to, uh, to wait for them to auto amputate. So fall off. Um, and then I guess eventually I woke up and they do that thing, like in the movies, quite literally, they do the like, sir, um, do you know what the date is? And I'm like, yeah, it's July 22nd. They're like, no, we're sorry. It's August 26th. Like to me, in it, it literally felt like they just put that mask on my face and I went to sleep for, for a bit and I woke up and it was the same day, but literally like five weeks had passed. And they're like, we have some things to tell you. And then all the stuff I just told you is the stuff that they're telling me after waking up after five weeks of being in a coma. So it's a lot to take in. Um, and then obviously, then they're like, by the way, your right leg doesn't work. You're paralyzed from the hip down. Um, and they didn't see any hope of it recovering. So they were really pushing me to amputate. And I don't know, know if you know Travis Paulin. Travis Paulin? I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he's a biomechanics dude. He's got like a prosthetic limb. And I'm like, texting Travis, like, bro, what do I do? You know what I mean? Give me some advice. You know what I mean? Do I do this? Do I not do this? What kind of like robo leg can I get? Um, you know, so we had a good talk, went back to my doctor and it's like, you know, I kind of planning to keep my leg. And he's like, what do you think you're going to do with it? And I was like, well, I'm thinking I'm going to walk on it. And, uh, he says, nah, that's, it's not going to happen. So, uh, we're at about 18 months post-hospital now and I'm walking around my house with no brace on my leg I still wear it out because I'm I am in Ontario and I don't want to fall on the snow and wipe out but um I do have a follow-up with this doctor at the end of the month and I'm planning to walk in with no brace on my leg because I thought <laughs> that would be fun <laughs> yeah so I mean that's the that's the short summary I'm sure there's a million more things but that's essentially you know, I spent the better part of the last year and a half rehabilitating my body. I lost 45 pounds of lean mass. Um, so I just spent that last year fighting to regain my strength and regain capacity to walk. Well, it was quite something to see, because I remember when you on your social media committed to coming to buy a vet, I'm like, holy shit, all right. And then, of course, you're walking in and you've got the brace on. But it was really cool to see you. And given the fact that like a lot of us were like following these updates. And I think at the time it was like your wife was posting these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So anyway, it was like, what the hell's going on? I'd be like, I'm here thinking, go, Oh, he's dead. Like he's not making it out of this one. <laughs> he's so dead. 
<laughs> and I and I laugh because like you're telling this whole story, like it, it has a bit more of a somber tone here today. But you're at our event. We're we're standing around is like what ten people there, and it's like a stand up comedy routine because you're just making light of the whole damn thing. Well, I wasn't. I mean, it did happen to me, but I wasn't there, <laughs> right? Like everyone's like that must have been horrible. I'm like, bro, I don't know. I was sleeping. Right. Like I came back and they're like, this shit happened. And I'm like, huh, well, that's, that's inconvenient. <laughs> you know, I got shit to do, but I mean, the, the doctor, like when they want to amputate my leg, they're like, they're like, well, we can't just leave this indefinitely. Right. We need a, we need a time, time course. And I was like, so you're saying we need a, a cutoff date. And I thought that was hilarious. Um, the, do the doctor kind of laughs awkwardly and then the residents are in the back like is this guy joking about cutting his leg off like, <laughs> like I buddy that's funny so he played cfl football for a long time his name's jeff hecht and jeff uh, is really into brazilian jiu-jitsu so i think it's a couple of years ago uh, i find it from one of our other friends because jeff like jeff could literally be so, terrible shit's going on and he just won't tell anybody except like his closest closest people and even then reluctantly so i find out that he had compartment syndrome as well and it was from something in brazilian jiu-jitsu he's so damn fit that he's going around and i think he went in like 15 hours later like you just know something's really wrong and getting worse goes in gets diagnosed with compartment syndrome they do the fasciotomy on him both sides slashed open big like red open scars on his leg and so I, I hear about this. So I'm texting him like, hey, man, are you okay? He's like, oh, yeah, no, right now there's 50-50 chance I lose my leg. And it, his next thing is like, well, if that happens, I'll just play murder ball, wheelchair basketball, right? Just like matter of fact, no big deal. No fucks. Yeah, you're, you're going to figure and, something out. I mean. But and I think there's something here. The commonality is, is fit, active lifestyle. Given the state of our world, you guys are no longer the average. In fact, you're probably relatively extreme outliers. Uh, you know, you work in the fitness industry, Jeff, dedicated, dedicated fitness, strong, fast, agile, like uh, a five foot 10 white Canadian football player who had a very long career into his almost late thirties in CFL football, right? That, that doesn't happen. So um, he's, he's an outlier to say the least. So that level of physical fitness probably has a lot to do with the capacity to recover from this type of thing. Yeah, it changed my perspective of strength training. I mean, when I was, you know, in my 20s, I was like, I just want to look good naked. And then, you know, I kind of got into my like late 30s, early 40s. I'm like, okay, I just want to be, you know, healthy enough to play with my daughter and grow old and functional. I never in my life imagined that having strength trained and been active my whole life was was going to save me from a critical illness. Like it wasn't, it wasn't one of the things on the list of benefits of strength training I had really considered, but uh, I'm, I went in, so I'm five, four, I went in at about 185 and I left the hospital at about 140 pounds. There's something here. I want to touch on this because I just did a presentation. I did this at Olympia U and I did it for uh, Mike T. Nelson's thing, but it's it's reserve it's this concept of reserve i think a lot of people don't understand it shows up at a couple places so the presentation was on like the the, the major uh, metabolic long-term health risks and the relationship with strength training and so for cancer this is really good stuff 
So there's a very solid relationship here between having more muscle and surviving cancer treatment because you has, have a reserve. During that, you're going to be sick. You, people atrophy. They, I can't remember the exact term, but there's a specific term for the muscle wasting during cancer, cancer treatment. Cachexia. Thank you. That's it. Exactly what it is. You'd know. So that is a big deal whether people will survive it. If someone starts out with very low muscle mass and goes into the situation, they don't survive this stuff, right? Someone comes in with a lot of muscle. And then another one, it's related, but when it comes to neurodegenerative disease is movement reserve, which re relates obviously the motor neuron, but that's going to have a strong relationship with muscle mass too. And it means that you preserve more of these functions longer, even though you can't stop uh, you know, all, all the progression of Alzheimer's. So you have a lot more runway. And so if we think in terms of muscle reserve, movement reserve, motor neuron, what have you. And and I, I I will say this, like I'm sure that your dedication to fitness and the amount of muscle mesh had saved your life during this. You, I, do you, you yeah. agree you think you'd be dead if? Yeah, the doctors basically said, they're like, if you came in at 145 pounds and like no lean mass to give, and then this happened and you dropped 40 pounds, like you wouldn't have been able to withstand you know, what you went through, like your body wouldn't just wouldn't have made it. And, uh, you know, so just having, like you said, that reserve, that capacity to kind of tap into was just a blessing. Like that's quite literally one of the major reasons I'm here. And more than that is the fact that because I had been strength training and active for so long, it enabled me to make a recovery that maybe other people wouldn't have been able to make. Like I regained 30 of the 45, you know, pounds of lean mass that I lost over the period of, you know, 18 months, right? So, so to regain 30 pounds of lean mass, it, it's, it's a slog, especially if it's brand new lean mass. But if you had it previously, your body just, you know, I'm sure you're aware of like when you, you know, uh, there's still this argument, I guess, about whether you can create new muscle cells. But within each muscle cell, as you strength train, you can produce more nuclei in each muscle cell, right? The donation of though, satellite cell nuclei to the muscle cells. Right. So then, so that they can produce more protein and hypertrophy the muscle. But if the muscle, you know, atrophies, like in my case, when you have to regain, you start strength training again, you already have the nuclei remaining. So you're able to regain that muscle and strength quicker than you otherwise would have. So, you know, really that important made... concept. Yeah. I mean, we, we, in layman's terms, we talk about muscle memory, which sort of sounds goofy, but for all intents and purposes, it's actually true. And I would layer in on top of it. You, you have the confidence and the knowledge that you have done it once before. So you know the tools to do it the second time around. And I think those things in conjunction are how it works. Yeah. I mean, I will say the biggest piss off for me was clients feeding back to me the stuff that I've been feeding to them for years, you know, like, I just feel like, you know, you're training, you're training, you're training. Like my, my right leg, when I got out of the hospital, like I could sit on the edge of a bed and you'd say, okay, do a leg extension. And I would, contract my quad theoretically but nothing would happen like my leg would just hang there so you know i met my physiotherapist and he said he's like you know i want you to do a thousand of those i'm like 
a thousand of what? He's like, extensions. I'm like, nothing's happening. He's like, yeah, but you got to send the signal there to tell the body, like, you need new nerve path here. He's like, you need to do a thousand per day. And I was like, but how many really? He's like, a thousand. And I'm like, well, does anybody actually do that? He's like, yeah, maybe like five people. And I was like, well, how do you know which of those five people did the thousand reps? He's like, because those are the ones that walked again. I was like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> did you use a lot of cross-education stuff where you trained as much as possible with the contralateral limb? I did do some contralateral limb training, not as much as maybe I should have in retrospect, but mostly because that leg, my left leg, was responsible for all of my motion. So my right leg was in, when I got out of the hospital, my right leg was in a fully locked brace from hip, hip to bottom of the foot. And my left leg was responsible for all motion. And I still had a walker at this point, mm. right? Which by the way, like, I know that I needed it. And I now I kind of understand when you try to tell an older person, maybe you should use a cane. And they're like, I'm not using a cane. Like the last thing I want to do was go to the grocery store with a walker at like 45 years old, right? Like that's, you know, people are staring. They're like, why is Iron Man using a walker? And um, yeah, that's a hard, it's a hard mental pill to swallow. But um, yeah, I didn't do as much of the cross education because I just thought that leg would, would buckle on me and then I would get a draw more attention. And that makes a ton of sense, right? So I'm guessing you probably still did a lot of like as much upper body training as you literally could at that point, right? Progressively. Yeah, because, but you have to remember, like it was actually a heart surgery, right? True. Initially. So I had like, you know, they split my sternum top to bottom, opened me up like a walnut, did the valve replacement and then sewed me up. So you have six weeks of like basically staying still to let the, Fortunately, I was asleep for most of that, um, but they do recommend not loading it a lot. And then I only had such limited energy when I was in the hospital in the kind of physio wing, like, you know, sometimes like seven days a week, one or two times a day, we'd be doing physio working on the walking piece. And then I'd be gassed. So it wasn't until about, I think, so I went into the hospital in July. I left four months later in November and then it wasn't until January that they cleared me to go back to the gym. Wow. So that's when I was able to start strength training again, which was like, man, you know, you get on the lap pull down or something. You're like, I'm going to crush it and you put like 30 pounds on. You're like, oh, I'm a beast. <laughs> well, you're looking pretty beefy when you walked into our event and you were a big hit there. A lot of people were really excited to see you. So it, it meant a lot that you came. So, yeah, it was fun. And honestly, I wasn't sure how the trip was going to go. Plus side, when you have a, when you have a leg brace, you bypass the line at the airport security, but they will like swab your brace for, for drugs. <laughs> and now they're like, Oh, we're just swabbing for drugs. I'm like, Oh, there's no drugs, just weapons. And, um, they don't like that. Yeah, they don't think they don't find that funny, actually. Um, but that uh, was like my first time traveling really anywhere out of the city since 
since the surgery, but yeah, I made it. So that's good. You'll be in top shape for this September 13th to 14th. So quick plug. It's like advanced stuff. So I am working on getting, you know what? Fuck it. I will tell some people here. You get some insider info. So I, I don't have all of my speakers confirmed yet, but Jonathan Goodman is going to be returning. We've got some oh, stuff. Oh, shit. I'm not coming. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? And Luca Hosevar will be back. And I've scored Brad Dieter, uh, one of the co-owners of Macros Inc. Brad's a good friend. So it's really exciting. There's a big contingent of Macros Inc. coaches. So I really wanted to bring Brad in because we used to speak together at the Inland Empire Fitness Conference, Tim Arndt's event. Yeah, Tim. And yeah, that's a good guy. Who else can I drop? Oh, I'm bringing back Crystal Guevara, Dr. Crystal Guevara. She was a huge hit. And let's just say that she's going to be accompanied by someone else associated with her, which is going to be a really, really, really big deal. I'm not going to say the name on air. You guys can probably figure it out. Message me and I'll confirm. And let's give you guys one more. I've got, I've got about 10 confirmed. I'm working on a total of 14, but I haven't talked to some of my, uh, my, my previous speakers yet and some other people I want to talk to in person before. Uh, the last name I'll give you guys is Jennifer Van Barneveld, and she is the owner of Strong Magazine, a Canadian as well. And I'm really excited to drop Jennifer in it. Super successful. So that's the, the hints for now. And there's going to be, there's a bunch more real big names uh, involved in, in some discussions and then some are confirmed. So we'll leave Jen's it at that. Still in Toronto? What's that? Is Jen still in Toronto? Um, I'm not sure where she's located because I know that. I actually, I physically don't know if she's in the Toronto area or if she's in the Halifax area. I was of the impression she was in Nova Scotia, but maybe she's in Toronto. I'll, I'll probably find that out soon enough. Okay. Yeah. So I, I believe we're like, yeah, I've met her a few times. We're at a wedding, to, not together in the wedding, but you know what I mean? At a wedding. Nice. Uh, <laughs> together a few years ago. So and I know her, her, her husband as well. well I'm looking forward because I was hoping to include her last year, but the scheduling didn't work out. So. I think yeah, she'll be just, just what she's accomplished is cool. So I'm, I'm looking forward to everybody in attendance, getting the, you know, the lessons from her and everybody else involved. So hold your breath. I will probably start making some announcements in the near future. I've got uh Oh, real quick, last minute shout, raise the bar. I literally will be in Dallas this coming weekend. You're listening to this. Uh, you, you probably listen. Hopefully you're listening to this on the Tuesday. Come out, but uh, raise the bar. I can't wait. That's uh, an amazing event. The lineup for that is savage. So if you feel bored last minute and you want to hop on a plane, should be message. We'll get you to raise the bar. Now, any any stuff like you're you're tough mind, and I bet you know. I know, I know you deal with a lot of this stuff with humor, but yes. anything about like just your philosophy, your career principles, anything that helped you get through this. Anything useful for other coaches who are stressed out because maybe they're going through a rough patch in their career, their life. And they're hearing this story going, wow. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like I kept thinking I was going to come up with something, some new approach to what I'm, you know, to recovering from a life threatening illness. And it ultimately boiled down to like, really comes down to your mindset and your approach to things as opposed to the methods you choose to use. And I really had two mantras that I would just say to myself every single day, which was always something, never nothing, right? I would just be like, okay, today I can't stand up because I'm in excruciating pain. And by the way, in the hospital here, they wouldn't give me even extra strength Tylenols. I had to get regular strength Tylenols because they're worried about my liver. Anyway, 
I smuggled my own in. So, um, <laughs> but you know, so the, if you can't do the thing that you had planned to do or would like to do, you at least have to do something, right? Like shrink the change to the smallest plausible thing that you are able to. I'm supposed to go to the gym today, but, and bust it out for an hour. But now my kid has a stomach ache and blah, blah, blah. And now I can't go. Uh, I guess I'm going to miss it. Like, that's what we do. Or maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And we know, like, we're just going to keep pushing it off, right? So my thing was like, okay, well, what can I do right where I am? So that's my other mantra is like, I got to do something. My other thing is focus on what you can do, not what you can't. Because we can get so friggin' hung up on all the things we can't do. Like you hear, you hear it from our clients. They'll say like, oh, you know, I don't have time to get to the gym. I don't have a gym membership. I don't have that. And there's always something. I'm like, okay, cool. What can you do? They're like, well, I, I could walk around the block. I'm like, okay, do that. And they're like, well, is that going to get me to where I need to be? I'm like, no, but it's going that direction, right? So you're just direction, not magnitude. Like always inching yourself forward in the direction that you're trying to move. And people are like, what kills me, and I've had a really hard time accepting as people have kind of watched and people are like, oh, you're such an inspiration. And I'm like, I, I have a hard time receiving that because like, I feel that the steps that I have done have been so small sometimes that like literally any human could do what I did, right? It's just the decision to go, okay, today I'm walking, you know, I'm walking around the block. I am standing up out of bed and, you know, like in my case, you know, taking five steps across the living room, like the tiniest shit accumulated over a long period of time will move you in the right direction. I think where it really sucked was I've been using this approach with my clients for years. And every time I would say to myself, like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. It's just not going fast enough. And my clients would, you know, you know, focus on the process and the outcomes will take care of themselves. And I'm like, I hate all of you right now. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've had some good support. I'm guessing the relationships you've had over the years, those people stuck around. We don't have much yeah. time left. Oh, you finish that thought, like a quick thought on that. And then I want people to know where they can find you and your media. Yeah. I would just say like, you find out who the real, the real ones are, you know, when, when difficult times come, some people will fall away, but the real ones will be tighter. And that's, you know, I'm lucky to have that. So. That's probably a testament to a lot of stuff you've done, a lot of, you know, care a lot of attention to doing right by people it, it shines through through everything we've talked about today so yes all the coaches listening you guys really do need to go and connect with mark and and see what he's doing he's really old school still in the game so there's there's lessons in all that stuff so where do people find you yeah so uh the easiest place to find me is out of my website marked to inspire.com um, from there, I mean, I don't really post a lot of stuff there, to be completely honest, just a landing place. Uh, from there, it'll point you out to like my Instagram, Facebook, just socials. Um, I'm pretty active on there, either posting um, fitness related stuff or recovery related stuff or currently stand up comedy related stuff. 
Um, I'm kind of all over the map, but trying to find a balance in life and include people on the ride. I appreciate you coming on here. I am. I, I really want to share the story because we were like sitting around this table and howling at the way you were telling the story, even though it was also like, am I supposed to be laughing at this? But you were the one laughing. So it's like, okay, this is, I think this is all right. But it's, it is inspiring to say the least. Right. And I, I'm glad we teased out a lot of literal like training lessons. That I think the trainers here are going to be like, okay, cool. That stuff's relevant to clients as well, especially like the muscle and movement reserve stuff. I wasn't even thinking yes. about that guys like that stuff really, really big. Okay. Like use that with clients. So uh, everybody listening, guys, thank you again. I really appreciate you tuning in. As I've been saying recently, my goal in 2024 is to get this podcast in the hands of more people. So there's going to be some trainer. There's going to be someone in your life, some client who is going to hear this episode. You know it's going to be useful to them. Share this episode with them. Share Mark with them, please. That will go a long way. And like if everybody who listens, like shares this with one person, literally doubles the audience. It never works out that way, but that'd be kind of cool, right? Imagine if I could double the audience every episode. That'd be like Chris Williamson type territory. Uh, anyway, thank you guys so much, uh, Mark. Appreciate you. And I'll likely see you in September if all works out.